Welcome to The Ladder, a podcast series for aspiring turf managers currently climbing the career ladder, and also for those already at the top who would like to better understand their Generation Y staff members. Sit back, settle in, and enjoy. Welcome to this episode of The Ladder, brought to you by Steck Equipment and New Farm. I am your host today, John Reitman, and our guest is Carlton Henry, Assistant Superintendent at the Inverness Club in Toledo, Ohio. Carlton, thanks for being with us today. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for taking the time to talk to me, John. A little while back, we did an interview with Ryan Kayser, who is also an assistant superintendent at the Inverness Club, working for John Zimmers. And Carlton here is John's other assistant. You worked for... John at Oakmont, correct? Yeah, yes, I did. So uh, I joined the team there at Oakmont. Yeah, how did the two of you get connected? I know you're both Rutgers graduates. Yeah, so uh, it, it's kind of an interesting story. I uh, I worked at a couple clubs in my hometown, Rochester, New York. Um, I applied to get into school at Rutgers and uh, they actually came back to me and said I needed a little bit more experience. Uh, so kind of my roots are at a, a smaller club, uh, Salmon Creek, semi-private in Rochester. Uh, I was, I grew up there. I was there for a few years working. Um, so in order to get the extra experience that Rutgers required, I went to a private club, Brooke Lee in Rochester, and I actually worked for Mark Michaud, uh, another really great superintendent. Uh, so I was with him there for a year, and he helped me get into school at Rutgers. And when I got out of school, uh, I came back to Brooke Lee, kind of told him what my thoughts were as far as uh, moving on. I kind of wanted to branch out from Rochester, and I was really intrigued with bigger clubs. So there was a few uh, that I wanted to get into and one being Oakmont. And, and he said, Carlton, you got to go work at Oakmont for John Zimmers. At the time, I didn't really know what I was getting into. It was January of 2015. So I went out there, met with those guys. Um, and they gave me the opportunity to come and work there. So it was March of 2015 when I joined the team there, uh, went through 2015 2016, obviously the U.S. Open finished those those things out and projects afterwards, and then uh, ultimately moved over to Toledo with John and got into kind of what we're doing now here at Inverness. So it's been about five years, um, and like you said, there's a, a lot of great experiences in, in doing that and, and working with somebody like John. And you mentioned you worked for Mark Mashad, also a superintendent with U.S. Open experience. Uh, give us a little insight what it was like working with Mark. Uh, it was kind of like a uh, precursor to working for John. A lot of similarities. Great guy. A uh, ton of experience. 
Um, obviously, Kim coming from uh, Pebble Beach for a few years and then uh, Shinnecock for quite a while. So he knew what he was doing when it came to providing championship conditions and mentoring interns. I mean, he's similar to John in the fact that he's got a laundry list of guys that worked for him and moved on to have great jobs. Um, I actually worked for his, worked with his son. Uh, that's how we developed the relationship. Um, and ultimately I went to work for him. So it kind of broke me in a little bit uh, to working for John similar schedules, um, organization, you know, yes, sir, no, sir. And just doing things the right way, pushing the limits a little bit. Um, so when I went to Oakmont, it really took it to another level, but I knew what I was getting into, uh, more or less. When you received that message from Rutgers to go and get a little bit more experience. That had to be a little bit of a shock to the system. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I've always been someone that kind of sets goals. Um, and that was, that was one for me. Uh, that was a big one getting into school. Uh, so, when they told me I, I didn't have enough experience, I was kind of shocked. I think I was like 19, 20 years old. Of course, I thought I knew everything. Um, and for them to come back and, and tell me I didn't have enough experience uh, was a little bit of a blow, uh, but I moved on. And uh, Mark helped me get into school. And then my next goal was to kind of knock it out of the park when I went to school. Um, so I was I was over the moon that, that they accepted me went there. I thought it was a great program. I learned a lot. Um, for me, I'm somebody that I have to really be interested in, in, uh, what I'm learning to absorb it all and, and get engaged. So it was really a perfect fit for me. Um, and, and I kind of excelled in it. It's something I was proud of. And, uh, so I kind of accomplished that goal as well. Well, so many, great programs throughout the Northeast. What made you settle on Rutgers? To be honest with you, it was uh, really the first one that I was exposed to and learned a lot about. Um, so I gravitated towards it. Um, it's really a coincidence that John and I both went to Rutgers. Uh, but to, to be completely honest, that's, that's what did it for me. I heard about it. I was educated on it uh, sooner than any others. Uh, so I kind of gravitated towards it. Once you stepped out of school and into the workplace and got so much more of that on-the-job experience that Rutgers was requiring, what did you find out that in the workplace that school didn't necessarily prepare you for? What were the, you know, you hear so many superintendents talk about how so much of the job now was people management as opposed to agronomy what have you discovered that you you'd wish school had prepared you for but didn't yeah that's a that's a great point john um and it's actually something we we almost joke about sometimes is that growing grass is the easiest part of our job um in this day and age it is becoming more of a a people managing thing uh so that's probably something they could have touched on. I, I don't know if I'd call it human resources, but really how to deal with people. 
um, it seems like a lot of people's personal lives actually roll into work and you kind of help them navigate through it in order to keep your operation moving smoothly. So maybe, maybe touching on that. Um, and then budgeting is a big thing. Um, we did have a course on it, but really digging more in depth on where to start, uh, and build a budget would be, uh, something I think would be very valuable. And then beyond that, um, it's kind of what we do is so based on the weather, it's judgment and it's really experience. And I guess you can't teach that. So school is just a, a small fraction of what we do. It gets your foot in the door. Uh, but experience, I think experience is really number one in, in setting you apart from other people. When John made the switch to Inverness about two years ago, what about working for him made you want to follow along and make that switch as well as opposed to staying put in Pittsburgh? Well, I knew in Toledo there was a lot of work to be done at Inverness uh, which was exciting for me. And I knew that he was going to navigate his way through that organized and, and disciplined, and there'd be a great outcome. So I really wanted to be a part of it. Um, I had worked for him for just over two years at Oakmont and I really enjoyed it. I know there's a lot of, of criticism about work and military and, but I, I really enjoy it. Uh, I mean, we have goals and we take a lot of pride in what we do and the quality of work. Um, and then to see the potential in a place like Inverness at that time uh, was really exciting and intriguing for me. And I wanted to be a part of it. So uh, that's what motivated me to make the move. Restoration of Inverness has been sort of a, a well-documented tale and it's not entirely finished yet uh, but it's something that you guys really jumped in and started on right away under severe time constraints to get ready for uh, USGA event and then you have another very big event the Solheim Cup coming up in a couple of years walk us through what it was like from the moment you stepped on the ground there at Inverness well and tell us a little bit about what the course was like. I know that there had been uh, Chad Mark, who was there for a, a, a brief time, had kind of gotten the ball rolling on things, but you guys jumped in and really took off as soon as you got there. Just tell us what it was like once you got there and that whole process to get to that U.S. Junior Am in such a short time. Sure, sure. Um so like you mentioned, Chad was here before us, and uh, I think he really did a lot of the legwork as to communicating the need for uh, a culture change at the club uh, and kind of broke the ice, if you will. And uh, he, was, he wasn't there for a year. I think it was eight months or so. So not a whole lot had changed, but he started to lay the groundwork, and then we came in behind him. And for me uh, – it was really the first time I'd seen um, 
a club that needed such a change. It wasn't the first time for John, so he was a little more even keeled than I guess you'd say I was. Uh, so at first it was a little shocking, uh, just absorbing everything. I spent a lot of my afternoons kind of just walking the golf course. It was early spring. I lived right on property, just soaking things in. Um, there was a lot of things on paper changes, so just absorbing it, wrapping your head around it. And then the first step was really just cleaning things up, cleaning the shop up, cleaning the golf course up, just ragged edges or equipment broken down. So it started with cleanliness and organization and schedules and just tightening things up. And we got a few months under our belt with, you know, proper mowing techniques and spraying. And those things are, you see a cumulative effect to those things. And then May rolled around, uh, McDonald and Sons rolled in. And uh, that's kind of when everything broke loose. They they broke ground and there was bulldozers, skid steers. And we started our tree removal in season, uh, which is unusual, but it, it worked with the project going on. Uh, so there was a lot of dirt and dust and and uh, it was great, though. It really was. And, and the unique thing is that we kept the golf course open. Uh, so the club was able to maintain that revenue stream. And I think it was actually kind of exciting for the members that they were able to come out and see the changes while they were happening. Uh, there was so much going on. I mean, day to day, there was things that were different. Um, so it was really special. Uh, it's kind of crazy. You know, it's been almost three years now. And it seems like it was just yesterday. but. Uh, it's been a great experience for me. There's there's so, so much that's going on. Uh, you almost can't absorb it all, but uh, it, it was such a great learning experience. A challenge, uh, but so rewarding. Yeah, you mentioned the fact that the course stayed open throughout the project, and that's something I've always found fascinating given the scope of the work that has taken place there. When you learned that... What was your reaction when you learned that the course was not going to close during any part of this work? Um, it was kind of it was kind of tough to uh to grasp that concept. I didn't really understand how it was going to work. Uh John was very confident in it um and uh, you know, it's not a plan that that came to fruition in a day you know there's ideas and we actually used our short game facility as a temporary hole and it just happened to work out that a, a tee on our ninth hole lined up with a green um so it was kind of a fluid thing that we worked through you know as they would shape a, a green surround they'd play the short game or they would change the routing and uh so it wasn't like set in stone. It's something we worked through and it worked and, and everyone understood what was going on. And it was a great alternative to actually just shutting the course down, uh, which the club had been through five or six years ago. Um, and they knew that they didn't want to do it again. So we all worked through it. Um, and I think they're glad they did it. And, and we're certainly glad that we did it as well. Before you guys made the move to Toledo, what did you know about Inverness, if anything? 
Not so. I didn't know a whole lot about Inverness. Uh, it was a familiar name in my mind. Uh, so I really didn't learn much until I heard about it and looked into it. Um, and the big thing for me was the history. You know, coming from Oakmont, nine U.S. Opens, probably the U.S. Open hosting gold standard. Um, but then you look at Inverness, I mean, they've got four U.S. Opens, PGA Championships. They're not too far behind. Um, you know, the USGA green section was started there. So it, it was really cool. And then uh, what, you know, really drove the now home was coming to visit. It's a really cool piece of property. Uh, you know, Ohio, you think it's flat, but you come out and there's a lot of elevation changes and some creeks and really cool golf holes. You know, the 18th hole is so special. Uh, you come down it and the clubhouse sits above it. And of course the first and 10th tee, they share a tee and what we call the bowl. Um, it's just a really cool property. And, and you combine that with the history. And when I came to visit first, you could see it needed some TLC and, and everything that was planned, you could envision it. And it was just really exciting. Uh, I'm so glad I did it. And, and you can see the end product. So cool. We'll be right back after a brief message from our sponsors. A new from New Farm is a proven plant growth regulator breakthrough, saving you time with less mowing and fewer clippings while improving the overall playability of greens, teas, and fairways. Labeled for both cool and warm season turf, Anew is a late-stage inhibitor with a novel mode of action that can be used on all managed turf areas to improve turf grass quality, density, and appearance. Anew is more active and longer-lasting than other late-stage growth regulators on cool-season turf, providing more regulation activity at lower doses. It is also the only PGR that can evenly regulate POA in mixed stands. Anew. Worth the switch. With a commitment to quality and a passion for sourcing the latest innovations from Europe and North America, Steck Equipment has grown to be the go-to supplier for specialized turf equipment. Check out their line of phrase mowers, material handlers, laser graders, vacuum sweepers, blowers, verticutters, and seeders, decompactors, sand fillers, and much more at steckequipment.com. That's S-T-E-C equipment.com. We're back on the ladder with our guest Carlton Henry of the Inverness Club in Toledo, Ohio. You know, I think Inverness is one of those names that's out there. It's the the name itself is so unique. I think people are familiar with the name, and then when they hear it's like it's in Toledo, Ohio, they're like, "What, really?" I don't think that the two. I don't think people put two and two together <laughs> with that. Yeah, I I, I certainly hadn't. Uh, but like you said, it is. Uh, it's kind of a bold name. And uh, when I heard it, it, I definitely knew something something was up, and I, and I looked into it. But it definitely sticks with you, and I think uh, that's a great asset for the club. You have the Solheim Cup coming up there in 2021, and of course, I think John always said that a lot of the work there was done with the membership in mind. But there's probably no mistaking the fact that without that restoration work the Solheim Cup doesn't come to Toledo in 2021 you know the Solheim Cup is great uh, and I really look forward to it but for me 
the most special thing is coming to a club like Inverness and doing everything we did and restoring it to its former glory. You know, it's, it's such a historic place and it deserves that. And it's a great membership and they're so grateful uh, for everything that we've done. And it's not like other clubs. I mean, these members come and they thank you and they do things with you and they ask about what you're doing and what the future holds. Uh, So for me, that's, that's really the most rewarding thing. Um, and like I said before, it's, there's been some really challenging times. Uh, you come from a place like Oakmont where John had had so much time uh, to build his program. And you come to a place where things are missing equipment and the staff. And, and for me, it was a culture shock. You know, John's done it and started Sand Ridge from square one and, he went to Oakmont and he changed the whole culture. So he always had that confident confidence and that, that even keel. Um, and I had faith in that, but for me to, to, to follow that and see the changes in the culture change, uh, that that's been the most special thing for me. Throughout the duration of that restoration project, he lobbed a lot of John um, speaking of lobbed a lot of praise upon you and Ryan for taking the initiative to keep the membership informed of the project status. Can you tell us a little bit about what that was like as far as keeping them informed of what was going on, changes that were made as far as, you know, how the project affected daily play and uh, just everything they needed to know to keep them in the loop and, keep them happy yeah sure sure so you know john's really the mastermind behind everything that goes on and uh i guess ryan and i are kind of the faces out in the field um that people see and there was so many changes happening so fast um that for somebody a member that's there let's say once a week or or even less than that you know, they come in and there's a lot of changes. So they'd see Ryan or I and talk and, and we're excited with all the changes and everything that's going on. And obviously we know exactly what's happened. Um, so we would talk to them and, and they, they love to know they, they love their club and they love the changes that have happened. Um, so we really strive to do that. Keep people informed, um, try to be as transparent as possible whether it be face-to-face or just updates, grounds updates that get sent out. So the majority of the project is behind us. But throughout it, um, I think that was a big key to success is just communicating the changes. You know, we we built entirely new golf holes, and our our current sixth hole used to be the fourth hole. And there used to be a pond in the middle of the golf course, and now it's our fifth fairway. So for somebody that doesn't come around a lot, you can come and and say, whoa, what's going on here? The tree used to be there. Uh, so we're we're kind of the faces behind the change during the project. Um, so I think it's really important to to send a, a positive message, what's going on. Um, and like I said, you know, they love their golf course. They love the changes. But if they don't know what they're what's going on, uh, I can certainly see how it could be frustrating. So we try to do our best and really be present, be seen, let them know we're there and uh, and we're there to help. So that's that's kind of a big part of what Ryan and I do. How involved does John keep you and Ryan in some of the other 
day-to-day facets of running the golf course. Well, John's actually really great at including us. Uh, there's not really anything I can think of that we aren't uh, a part of. Um, of course, we, we participate in making schedules um, every single day, whether it's first thing in the morning, any schedule uh, for that matter. Um, and beyond that, you know, at least weekly, if not more, we talk about where we're at with our budget, um, our spending, and how we want to move forward. A lot of times, Ryan and I are the ones, uh, you know, talking to the mechanic about what equipment's broken or what irrigation needs to be fixed. And and I say that in a sense of spending. Um, so sometimes we're the one communicating how we're going to navigate through those expenses. Um, we talk about applications and fertilizer. He does a great job of including us um, in every aspect. And we don't necessarily go to every board meeting or, or every Greens Committee meeting. But given the opportunity, he always includes us. We always have board reports in the agenda. And he makes it a point to, to give us feedback if we don't attend a meeting, just to see kind of the, the mood how everyone feels moving forward with conditions of the golf course or spending or their goals or changes. Um, so for me that there's a lot of value in that. And, and he, he strives to make it that if he steps away, that one of us can lead the staff, which we do, or, or if we move on, that we'll be successful and that there's not too many obstacles that could come up that we're not prepared for. Um, so it's it's a great thing that we do. What are some experiences you have working for John that you might not get someplace else and that you think will really benefit you as you progress throughout your career? Well, something that, that he always strives to do and that we always strive to do um, is to just improve even if we have the best of something to find a way to be better. Um, you know, we do a lot of double cutting and rolling and we do a lot of hand watering as opposed to using overheads. Uh, we're big into the human element to, to improve, you know, precision of whether it's top dressing by hand or, or hand watering fairways. Um, so we, we get to where we want to be. And we really examine every aspect of what we do to how we can improve. Um, so that's something I'll always carry with me. And uh, he really strives just professionalism. You know, how you act, how you how you look uh, when you come to work. You know, a member should be able to come and talk to you and it doesn't look like you just crawled out of a hole. Um, so... It's just how you approach things. Carlton, thanks a lot for your time today. We appreciate it, and it was a pleasure talking with you. Yeah, thank you so much, John, for your time and uh, and for talking to me. You have been listening to The Ladder on TurfNet Radio. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher for instant access to past and future episodes of The Ladder and other TurfNet radio podcasts.